Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually boring, sir. I thought you'd mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shiny man? Has Pep Guardiola been a failure at Bayern Munich? It's a question that's getting people going this week and one we're going to answer definitively on today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's right, Ken. That's right, Murph. Hello definitive there. answers all round to questions that can't really be definitively answered. Yeah. Well, I mean, are you asking me that question now? Not yet, because I want to play a clip first of our friend Gabriel. Just to highlight how passionate people are getting about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. You know the clip. I I'm think I know about. the one you're Our pal about. Gabriel Mercotti got pulled into a heated debate on this one on ESPN FC when he joined Craig Burley. One thing I want to point to is that, and you may not buy into our old friend expected goals, but... Uh, it, it was something like 4.2 to, to 1 and change in, in this one. And if Muller puts the penalty away, then we're not having this conversation right now. You're talking to me about expected goals in a Champions League semi-final that they've just lost. Mm-hmm. Oh, what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is. <laughs> Gab, honestly, just... Why? Put, I mean, what do you mean, why? I expect, listen, I expect things at Christmas from Santa Claus, but they don't come... Right? What a deal in this fact. That's not what it means. What does expected goals mean? Well, yes, everybody can look at the results. Of course, because that's what the game, Gab Marcotti, is about. Whether you like it, I like it, or anybody likes it, the game is about results. That's why managers change jobs and get the sack. Right? None of this nerd nonsense about expected goals. Well, Ken, are you in the nerd nonsense expected goals corner or the results corner? (laughs) That's just... Oh, what an absolute yeah. load of nonsense that is. <laughs> Still going, Craig Burley. Oh, Craig Burley. Well, bordering on rude, I would have said Craig Burley during, during well, parts I, of that I actually debate. saw that, that on, on Twitter, Daniel Altman, who we referred to the other day when we were talking to Gabriel Marcotti, had had uh, tweeted a complaint about this. He, he kind of taken a screen who's, grab. Who's Daniel Altman? Daniel Altman is, is a kind of a, a top football analytics guy. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was very put out by this exchange. He thought it was... Basically, he put up a, a screen grab with an email that he'd written to ESPN complaining about, you know, essentially the moronic uh, attack by Craig Burley on on Gabriel Marcotti. And Burley should be off the, you know, less less uh, Craig, more Gab. You know what I mean? I think Gabriel Marcotti is, is more than capable of standing up for himself, actually, <laughs> uh, in those issues. But, you know, uh, what he's saying there, effectively... To say that Bayern's expected goals was, you know, over four and and, and uh, Atletico's was, you know, just one, means that Bayern were unlucky not to win. Can I confess? It's as simple as that. Can I confess and still not being fully sure myself what our old, as, our, as um, Gab says, our old friend expected goals actually means? Shots? Okay, I will have a go at explaining what expected goals means. And this is probably going to be wrong. But uh, maybe it could be short, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If it's wrong and short, I'd nearly take it over corrected log. But anyway, uh, how do we go? So basically the idea uh, being that if you take a shot, the shot has got a certain probability of scoring. Um, if, if if the shot is from 35 yards, sort of out, out by the, uh, you know, out by the, the sideline, 
probably the chance of it going in is not that good. If the if the shot is like a point blank bullet header from three, for, you know, from three yards in a central position, there's a higher chance of that going in. You see what I mean? Yeah. So it's a statistical device that rewards a team who works themselves into positions from which they should score a goal. Well, also who I'd say Leicester wouldn't do very well on this, for example. Well, I mean, no, Leicester have been kind of outperforming it for most of the season, as, as in, if you looked at their expected goals, generally they tend to do a little bit better. That's what, that's what I mean, yeah. They have yeah, been yeah. doing a little bit better. Um, but, you know, it's, it's basically a way of saying, okay, they had a certain number of shots of a certain quality. You know, the, you, the probability of, of an average player, an av- you know, I don't mean an average, like a mediocre player. I mean, the average player scoring with a shot from this position is, you know, X amount. How, how precisely they work out what the probabilities are, I don't know. But... Um, no, that's pretty clear. No, it's not, yeah, it's not that's clear. short and right. I think. Yeah, short, it? both short and right. Well, I mean, we we could just be confirming each other's ignorance here. Okay, so, <laughs> well, it yeah. certainly. Oh, sounds, that was definitely right. It, sound, it certainly <laughs> sounds right. Someone I mean, is someone is tearing their hair out at the ignorance of the the three Burleys. <laughs> Actually, if you'd asked Ken me Burley. what expected <laughs> expected Burley. goals uh, means, that's what I would have said. So now I'm actually less confident. There doesn't appear to be any wrinkle whatsoever in your description of it, which leads me to be suspicious about its truth. Yeah, ba- basically, if if a team say say uh, the the number of shots they have and the kind of positions that they're shooting from and the types of shots that they are, it's getting long. <laughs> what, what I mean is, you can you can look at all that at the end of the game, kind of map it all, and say, okay, you know, on average, the, the team would have scored two point eight goals from these kinds of shots. You know, and they've actually scored just one. They were unlucky. You know what I mean? I, I know what yeah. you mean. Bayern, for instance, scored one when they apparently, you know, according to the figure Gabba's quoting, should have, should have scored four. Or could have, you know, on average you would expect them to score four. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what he's talking about. So, so essentially it boils down to a way, a kind of a, you know, um, a more mathematical way of saying... They were unlucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's, re- that's really what it is. So that's what an of, absolute yeah. load of nonsense that is. <laughs> but, they were, <laughs> but they were unlucky. I get you the feeling we're going to hear that Craig Burdick a few more times. But this, course, uh, next I think months. it's interesting, though. Like, you know, this, this is obviously something which has, which has become more and more part of how people speak about football, largely because these kinds of figures weren't available before. Now they are. You know, a lot more stuff can be measured now. People are aware of all this. And once you do have the ability to measure things and to kind of quote statistics and to make arguments which are supported by, you know, mathematical evidence, then there's kind of an increasing pressure to, to make that type of argument. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, because the other type of argument is the one, is the kind of more old school one. Maybe, you know, you can imagine Hugh McAvaney sitting there with his cigar watching the... Because he was still allowed to smoke in the press box. I don't know if he ever actually did that. Maybe he only smoked at the end. I'm not sure. But he's sitting there and, and he's... Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's maybe going to be some technical points. You know, I mean, I remember him writing about the World Cup final, say, in 1970. And, uh, you know, he, he'd been able to find out from one of the players, uh, one of the Brazil players... Um, you know, that they'd made some tactical change at halftime. And the player that was going to be free, that the Italians were going to forget about, was Gerson, the midfielder. And Gerson is the guy who eventually scored the, you know, the 2-1, the breakthrough goal. So, you know, you'd have those kinds of little pieces of information. But a lot of it would be about the personalities. You know, the granite-hewn Scottish managers, you know, from the coal fields the of the nation. <laughs> you know, that would be... Uh, Simon's hot on those hockey know, today. A, on yeah. fire Oof. today, yeah. Um so a lot of it would be it would be about that. I mean, I imagine you know what, like looking at that Bayern Atletico game, and you see Diego Simeone, you know, and the kind of uh, the sort of desire, the 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 intensity, the insanity of Diego Simeone, and this was kind of the force that Bayern were up against. Now there is no there is no mathematical way of of making that case really. I mean, this is a guy who's not even standing on the field. You know, he's he's just he's not even on the pitch. There's no mathematical way of well, measuring his impact. How can you quantify during the his minutes? influence? And yet, you feel that he really <laughs> did have a lot to do with how that game turned out. You know, that's that could be just a kind of a, a primitive tribal sort of sense that you know that the human beings get. Oh, look at the, look at the chief man. You know, Simeone is obviously a chief man. And we we all we're kind of keen to give him greater uh, importance than maybe he really has. 
But I still feel as though he well, really less, did have an impact. Yeah, there. there's less maths in that yeah. opinion. You See, know? Maths, maths has ruined it now because people can make evidence-based arguments instead of just making arguments that sound fun good. arguments. Yeah, and that's kind of it's kind of annoying. He's it's distracting like, the players. <laughs> you know, they lose the final one nil to a deflected goal off Diego Godin's arse or something. You know, yeah. so it's all Simeone's fault. We still Stop haven't got your arms. We still haven't got your answer about Pep Guardiola and I might hold on I might hold because there's a lot of champions a lot of Pep to talk about so yeah. we'll get your thoughts on it at some point Raphael Honigstein is a big fan of the work Pep has done at Bayern so we'll talk to him we'll ask Sid Lowe about that as well and we've got a bonus podcast out there for you you may have noticed this but just in case it slipped by on your feed there without you seeing it scroll back up download that bad boy it's the Keegan cast that's as snappy a title as we could think of I, I like it Keegan mm. cast I mean there's no pun or anything really it's just Keegan and the second cast. part of podcast mm. yeah. Keegan podcast Podkev? Nah, Keegan Cast will stick with. Kevin Keegan was our guest, and Ken had a great face-to-face chat with him, talking about uh, loads of stuff. The future for Leicester City, the difficulty in holding on to their big names, long-distance running, the role it played in making Kevin Keegan the fittest player in 1970s football, and also the need to completely rethink how players are coached at a young age. Loads of great stuff. Uh, Kevin Keegan, quite a charming charming guy and a great interviewee, so have a listen to that. It's available now, uh, as is the report on sport. Well, if you're asking was is Guardiola a failure, I mean, one way maybe to judge it was by the reaction of the crowd at Bayern Munich uh, at the end of the game. The final whistle went. What sound did you hear? Well, there wasn't booing. Is that what you said? No. No, there wasn't booing. There was kind of that, you know, sound of disappointment, but no... Anger. Sorry, what's the sound of disappointment again? <sighs> you know that the sound of a <laughs> that's deflating. A, that's more the sound of a, a strimmer. The uh, sound, a head <laughs> or something. The sound of a deflating stadium. You know, the Allianz Arena looks like a big inflatable stadium, mm. and if someone's just stuck a pin in that, and it's all, you know, collapsing that, that's down. That's more of a lawnmower. Yeah. Well, look, uh, they didn't. They didn't boo though. I was wondering if they would, but they didn't. They had too much respect for what they had seen. I mean, the team had played well. And probably some of the fans were turning around to others and saying, our expected goals were off the charts, to be fair. You know, what more could Guardiola have done? And, you know, we all wanted Muller to play, but he was the one who missed the penalty. You know? Shows what we know. We all wanted him in there, but he missed the penalty in the end of it, you know? Of course, they got missed the penalty as well. Although they shouldn't have got the penalty. Oh, you know, there's so many kind of different ways to, uh, to look at it. But, you know, I mean, Arturo Vidal was, was annoyed... He was graceless. I thought Arturo Vidal was poor, actually. I don't, I don't think... I find he... I, I feel as though Bayern bought him to add a little bit of kind of... Fire. Uh, yeah. A, a, a little bit of uh, aggression. Devil. Yeah. But, like, he can, I don't think it really works that way. I don't think you can buy one player and say, okay, you're the devil now. The whole team kind of has to have that. You know, it has to be kind of laced throughout the team. You can't just bring a guy in and say, right, now, you get in there and, and you know, a few hand grenades or whatever it is. Um, I just think that uh, he, he just ends up looking out of place. And he just looked, I mean, he, he, he played badly. He kind of, he was off his game. And maybe that's why afterwards he comes out with graceless comments about how Atletico Madrid play ugly football. And, um, you know, uh, the only time they got the ball was when they scored, basically. Uh, they'll, they'll be dreaming about us, he said, weirdly. Basically, you, they've seen what a real team is. Now they're in the final. You know, he's just like, forget it, yeah. uh, Vidal. You know, you um, you let yourself down. Um, I don't know. So it's going to be Atletico against Real again. I mean, the last time they played each other, it looked like Atletico were going to win right until the end, and then Real Madrid kind of overwhelmed them. They just had too much quality. Atletico were so tired. I remember that, that game they started Diego Costa, even though oh, he yeah. was, his, his leg was hanging off. He came off after like seven minutes, um, which kind of showed their desperation for him to be involved and, and they lost him really early then they it looked as though they were going to win thanks to a mistake by Casillas Sergio Ramos equalised and Real Madrid completely blitzed them in the extra time there I don't, was just no answer to that quality they I, had I don't know if Atletico actually believed that they were going to win that game I mean they mm. won the title that season sure but I don't know something about the Champions League final against Real Madrid who've owned that competition in yeah. so many ways it's going to be too much this is more This what I'm talking about here is more from the Craig Birdie school of analysis than the Gab Marcotti school of analysis I can't yeah. really quantify this yeah. I just felt they they had the hunger sure but they lacked the belief yeah I think that I think you know maybe maybe we have to recognise that human beings are irrational creatures you know there may be no way to quantify 
as we said, the influence of someone like Simeone or, or these kind of irrational factors such as, you know, it's not our destiny, it's not our night. But people, if people believe that, then it effectively becomes real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it becomes a real thing. You know, this kind of sense of doom that enfolds a team. You know, when Sergio Ramos scored, okay, it was 1-1. There's still every chance. There was no chance. There really was no chance. You know, Atletico had knew then this is done. But this time, I just think, <laughs> I, I really, I think Real Madrid would rather be playing any, any other team. Maybe not Barcelona, <laughs> actually. Maybe. Just a non-Spanish team. But they'd rather, I think they'd rather be playing Bayern than Atletico. There's just something, even though Bayern are, are clearly a better team. Bayern have, better, Bayern have got better players. They're, they're str- they can put a stronger team on the field. I still think Real Madrid would rather, rather not have to play against Atletico. Um, after that, you know, after what happened two years ago, I think Atletico will, you know, you talked about a lack of belief that time. I, I don't think they're going to have that this time. I think it's like, well, we're here. Obviously, we deserve to be here. This is the yeah. second time. Um, and yeah, I think, I think they're going to be good. Uh, obviously, Real Madrid beat Man City, who were just so, so terrible. Uh, just nothing really from them. We're not even going to bother talking about it. No, well, we will talk a little bit later on with Sid about, about City. So, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk to Sid about that. And we'll talk to to Rafael Henrikstein about about um, Guardiola. Um, just Ronaldo's quote uh, about Zinedine Zidane: "We've always had Zidane's back. I admire him as a manager and as a person. He's humble. He knows how to listen, and that's always important. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key." Yeah, and more true. important of all, most important of all, he knows who to listen to. <laughs> yeah. No, he knows he knows what he's doing. Um, Guardiola. Oh, just one other thing, which was Gattuso. Uh, you remember Gattuso? Of who could, who of can never forget? Um, not happy with uh, this Guardiola nonsense. He's one of those. He, let's say he's he's one of the Burleys uh, who's saying. Uh, Barcelona and Guardiola have created monsters in society and in football managers. Um, for copying others, we have lost the defensive part of our football culture. Um, this is, he's basically saying Italian teams have got to stop trying to be Barcelona and, you know, trying to do what Bayern do. Well, there might be something in that. Um, uh, not all our proposals during the past 50 years have been rubbish. Um, he also then goes on to say, at the moment, players here spend 10 hours a week training. In Holland, they play for 10 hours a day. Now we have other social phenomena, smartphones and PlayStation. I think what he's saying there is the level of computerized games is is out of control uh, and has to stop. There needs to be a correction. But we will, as we said, get back to the Champions League. Um, just in the meantime, more Leicester. Leicester obviously been uh, partying this week. Everybody has. Uh, Jamie Vardy. Uh and the the other Jamie Vardy saw what? So it's just weird. The other the guy who looked a bit like Jamie Vardy. A bit like it. Jamie Vardy. He's not even. I, I assume I saw I, I saw <laughs> Jamie Vardy look like, and I thought to be honest, I thought it would be like sort of a plump version of Jamie Vardy. Mm. Yeah. This guy's almost as skinny as Vardy. Yeah. And he's got the same shaped face, which is an unusually yeah. shaped face. Yeah. Not that well, certainly among non-professional athletes, it is. Yeah. Uh, he's got he's got this fairly thin frame. Like, look, sure, is it? It's like what Jamie Vardy would have looked like if he wasn't a professional footballer. Like about half a stone on top of the normal Jamie they Vardy. Got these, they got this guy to come on the bus, like the team bus, I think just so they could bully him. I mean, I thought there was this Well, there's a difference of, between playful joshing, joshing and bullying. Full kit wanker! was how Jamie Vardy <laughs> greeted his, his double. Joshing. <laughs> full kit. Full kit wanker. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah. it sounded a little oh, yeah, like yeah. something else. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Full, full kit. Full kit. <laughs> I mean, it, f- at least he's describing why he thinks he's a wanker, as opposed to just <laughs> mindless abuse. Yeah. Well, maybe Jamie Vardy was a little bit annoyed by that, you know? He's looking at this guy going, oh, I don't look like that, do I? And everyone else going, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you really do. Um, but whatever about that, what is Jamie Vardy going to make of the comments from the vice chairman of Leicester, Iowat Srivadanaprava, who is speaking to a magazine in Thailand, and it's just a very loose interview. It's like, he goes, uh, uh, I was against signing Jamie Vardy. Uh, I asked Nigel Pearson and Steve Walsh about him, checked the scouts' reports, and I started to believe he would be a good signing, but I had to answer the supporters who were asking, how is a non-league player worth £1 million? It turned out I was the dumbest club owner in the world to them. I asked Pearson and Walsh, if I have only £1 million transfer budget for the next season, who would you buy? And they replied... Vardy. Then I said, go. There was outrage from the fans. Some even called me to say, are you nuts? Why have you spent this much in a non-league player? 
Back then, I didn't think he had what it took to play in the Premier League. The day we bought him, he came to me and thanked me for changing his life. He had never had this much money, so he was over the moon already. <laughs> he went straight from the bottom to the championship, which eventually led to him to start drinking booze every single day. We had no idea what to do. I didn't know about this until someone told me that he came to, came to train while he was still drunk. So I went to talk to him myself. I asked, do you wish to end your career like this? Do you want to stay here like this? We let your contract run out and release you. Don't expect a better career path. He said he didn't know what to do with his life. <laughs> this is an amazing interview. He said he'd never earned such a large amount of money. So I asked him, what's your dream? How do you think your life should be? Just think carefully about what you would do for the club. I invested in you. Now do you, ha do you have to do something in return? After that, he simply quit drinking and started working hard in training. His physicality wasn't as good as it is now. We, know he had ex we knew he had explosive acceleration, but we simply had no idea he could be this good. He's adapting, working on fitness training. He's turned into a new person, and that's better. <laughs> so, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, myself and Murph stunned silence. It yeah. probably hasn't come across on, on air. You know, right? That's, I love podcasts. I love these kind of, this kind of medium. Bored silence sounds a lot like stunned silence. Yeah, we're yeah. literally looking at each other, oh, mouths agape here at that... <laughs> Drinking every day, revelation. Drinking booze every single day he, because he never had so much money. It's a story of alienation. Mm. You know, Jamie Vardy in the big house, the house that we, I don't know if it was the same one. We've seen the inside of it. No, he wasn't going straight to that house, surely. Just save, <laughs> up a bit, save, up, save up a few. Well, he's got a, his car then. cost like 168 grand or whatever. I mean, I was speculating. He whether, hardly arrived from Fleetwood or whatever it was and then immediately no. bought the big car in the big house. I was speculating on whether he was the richest player, but of course, I mean, if Robert Hoots is in the team, Robert Hoots was at Chelsea when Ranier was there. He must be, uh, he must be minted <laughs> at this stage. Um, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, you know, just because you have a lot of money doesn't, doesn't mean you know what to do. Doesn't mean you know what to do yourself, you know? Jamie Vardy found that out, but, you know, he quit the drink and, uh, Good luck yeah, to him. It, that's better. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, of course, getting involved, uh, telling David Cameron, uh, I join the Prime Minister in congratulating Leicester City. I hope it's not an indication he's going to start supporting another football team. Or is he going to stick with the two he's got already? Oh. Everybody was uh, having a good laugh at that. And that's just not, just not cricket. Um, uh, and La Repubblica, uh, the Italian newspaper, has an interview with Renata Ranieri. 96-year-old mother of Claudio. And uh, he says, uh, she's, she's talking about his, his dietary habits. Uh, my son needs to stay fit, so he never offers for a primo. Uh, the primo, primo piatti. When they, for, for some reason in Italy, I'm not quite sure why they have, they give two you... Two dinners. I, I, I like it. I, for one, am in favor of the two-dinner option. I yeah. did want to ask about this. You, you, you go to a restaurant in Italy and, and primo secondi, mm. and you're like, what the? I mean, the, the the primo appears to be a pasta. You know, yeah. the, there's a lot of a lot of courses here. I understand the concept of tapas in Spain, but they're generally small mm. dishes or maybe slightly larger dishes to share. But mm. this is the way this menu is set out, Murph. It seems like it's asking me to eat a pasta and then eat a meat, then eat a meat, and then yeah. eat another course in there as well. Mm. I mean, well, yeah. obviously you're gonna have dessert. Yeah, of course. But I mean, it's, you're in Italy. You don't. just go straight for it. You just go. Well, if, if it's in this order, then I just take one of each. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm the, the alternative is to insult my Italian waiter. Is that it? <laughs> well, this please. Is, this oh, is he'd be thing. looking at me. He'd be looking at me funny. Yeah. It's like oh, I'll have my primo and then I'll have my secundi and uh, I can I can see walk out of this restaurant like a man. Well, that's a rare case. That that that's a happy instance of of. Uh, you know the hus the hustler and the hustly actually being happy to be hustled. In <laughs> yeah, your case, exactly. you're like, well, <laughs> let me have as many courses as possible. A lot of people would be like, oh, I don't know if I really want that much. But you know, because the menu is suggesting that you should, mm. it sort of creates the impression that well, isn't this what is this what people do? Oh, I better do that. Clutter in here, he doesn't do it. No, nah, never. No, he, it doesn't he doesn't go for the doesn't go the for the premium. pasta option. Oh, okay, right. He has uh, instead says. He has green beans or a salad. So he has that instead of pasta. Then he has the second, you know, the fish or meat option. That does make a lot more sense. Um, on Monday, uh, when Mr. Ranieri had lunch with his mother, he ate a steak and a bit of chicoria ripassata, uh, which is a spinach-like vegetable <laughs> tossed in olive oil. All right. Uh, then he had strawberries, lemon juice. <laughs> <laughs> so quite a lot of grub, though, all the same for yeah, lunch. Well, that's a yeah. well you're, lunch. you're home with your mother, you know, she's going to feed you. All the newspapers. Well, no, was this out in a restaurant? Oh, it's a restaurant. He's going to make his 96-year-old mother cook <laughs> well, I, I, lunch, well, I, surely. The way it was painted 
to me was that he was going home to his mother's house. I'd say he for probably lunch. I'd say he probably took her out for lunch, to be fair. His, with his with his six point nine million pound bonus. You know, but mother, <laughs> mothers like to mothers like to feel like they're still involved. I, in their grown up son's that, lives. I don't I don't I can't imagine any mother would object to being taken out to a, a nice no, restaurant. Maybe I'd, maybe once, happens. Maybe a, once that objection has never you've been made. You've burst past the, the ninety years barrier. Maybe things change. All the newspapers in Italy are calling him the King of England. Just imagine that. He was so happy when I spoke to him on the phone. Now we can all relax a little bit. He told me that he had found a good bunch of players, but that he certainly wasn't training a great team. Uh, (laughs) They have always treated him well in Leicester. In Rome, he was not treated with respect. I was sorry about how it ended. I think he would have won the championship in Italy too. He came very close. I think that's that's fair enough. We are so happy the whole world is paying him compliments, and I thank everyone, says... Mrs. Ranieri so that's uh, she, I told she him, sounds as nice as Claudia yeah. you see where mm. she gets I told him he was a fool for uh, not uh, upping in Golo Kante's buyout clause but he would not listen <laughs> he would buyout, not listen to his mother the buyout clause is apparently 19 million pounds so it's pretty cheap really for <laughs> if he can replicate that if kind of if only he'd listen to his mother Ken um, meanwhile Alessandro Rocca uh, who is um, mar- who is Ranieri's son-in-law says uh, he is happy not for himself but for the players and fans. <laughs> for himself as well, I guess. But he says, he's a calm and serious person, but he's a, he also knows how to joke around. That's, a, I suppose, a, a real guide to living. You know, to be calm and serious, but also to know how to let their hair down a little bit, you know, from time to time, you know? Um, Do you want to mention the Liverpool game tonight? Yeah. Big it, it up. They're, they're obviously playing Villarreal, 1-0 down from the first leg. Difficult situation um, because of the obviously risk of, of conceding an away goal. The interesting thing here, though, is it's what's happening at Liverpool. I mean, OK, they, they could get into the Champions League if they if they win this competition. That's, you know, that's possible. Otherwise, their the season is basically over and they're not, they're not going to be in Europe next next year. Um, the question is, you know, which of these players is, is going to be there? There was Jurgen Klopp uh, the, other, the other day was saying, you know, people say the squad isn't that good. Well, I think they should, they'll all be bloody surprised. This is a bloody good squad. He doesn't believe that for a second. Oh, he's obviously going to have to sell quite a few. Yeah, he doesn't believe that for a second. And I think the interesting one at the moment is is what's going on with Daniel Sturridge. Because Daniel Sturridge is, in terms of his technical ability, clearly one of the best players that they've got. I mean, a brilliant brilliant finisher. You know, just the way he strikes the ball so cleanly into the net. You know, you can see he scores some beautiful goals. Obviously, the drawback is that he's sometimes... Not always on the pitch to (laughs) score those beautiful goals. No. Um, and and uh, but the, the interesting thing is that even when he is available, Klopp is sometimes looking at him and leaving him on the bench, as he did last week in Villarreal. Liverpool didn't score, but Klopp didn't use Surge. Now that's interesting. You know, that's that's that tells you there's a problem. You know, the, that Klopp doesn't really think Sturridge is all that, and you can see why that might be. You know, Sturridge isn't exactly the the hardest working player in the world he's not it's, he's, he's not one of those guys who really makes life hell for the opposition defenders you know what I mean um, and, and Klopp maybe maybe doesn't like that maybe he thinks he needs to get fitter but I just were, I just wonder what's happening uh, with them I'm, I wonder a bit about Sturge's attitude he gave an interview last week where he, he often ends up hitting this theme in his interviews because a lot of them are centered on the fact that he's injured and he always ends up saying, look, you know, you don't understand how hard it is when I'm, I'm working really hard. I feel so bad that I'm not playing. People who criticize me or say that I lack desire don't know me, that, you know, they're ignorant. They don't know what it's like being a footballer. But he said, I think the significant bit was, uh, um, he's, uh, sorry, where is it? He said, I'm not here going out for nightlife. I can't go out really. You know, boo-hoo, thanks everybody reading it. I'm not here having fun with all my mates. I live alone. My family's close, but all my friends live down south. I'm here to work. I'm not here to have fun. I'm not here for a jolly up. Liverpool, for me, is work. It's a job. It's something I take seriously. And for anyone to question my integrity, it's disrespectful. Now that is, I think what Sturridge is trying to do there is, is, is kind of reiterate how serious a professional he is. But it does rather sound like a guy who's not having... Who's not really enjoying life? Yeah, Liverpool. You could, you know, be. F- it's a fair enough thought on behalf of Liverpool supporters, people who live in Liverpool, to think. Well, Daniel, there are things to do here. Oh, you look, can, you can, yeah. you, can, you can come out and enjoy the city. The hardship bit. posting, like, like, like Sturridge is manning some lonely ice station in the Antarctic. <laughs> you know, just 
like uh, like the Martian or whatever, you know, like Matt Damon, you know, talking, making little videos, you know, to, to sort of try and retain his sense of humanity and individuality, you know, even lost in this in this desert of of Liverpool. I I have a feeling that uh, he might not be there for too much longer. On. He might be getting closer to his friends down south. Let's wrap up the report on sport. See if you do got this out with Motherville, you know what I mean? Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so it's soft, I'll try to get some beat. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need your fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip. He's your biggest fool. We'll get into Pep Guardiola chat with Raphael Honigstein. Raphael, I think you might be expecting the first question that we're going to throw at you. Pep Guardiola, a failure at Bayern Munich. You know, I'm really surprised that people are asking this question. When did it become um, a fashion to classify managers either as winners or failures? Is there nothing in between? Can't you just do a job and maybe not get everything 100% right? I mean, the guy's won every domestic title there is to win. He's had Bayern playing amazing uh, level of football. He's got three years running into the semi-final, which no Bayern coach has ever done, even, um, well, not since the 70s anyway. And he might have failed in his ultimate objective. And Bayern, of course, have failed in winning the Champions League under his reign. But to call him a failure, I think, is is uh, is ridiculous. I mean, Müller failed from the penalty spot. Is he a failure now as a player? Come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean Pep Guardiola is, is clearly a very successful man, uh, right at the very top of his profession. Uh, that's not in doubt. But, it, you know, I suppose the question is... Uh, you know, when Bayern looked back in the last three years, is this how they would have wanted things to turn out? Did they, you know, Bayern have had such a good team over this time period that not even getting to a final of the Champions League is is bitterly disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. It is hugely disappointing. And of course, it did create a reasonable expectation combination of Guardiola and, and this amazing squad, which has only been getting better in many ways. You know, you no longer have the Dantes and Mandzukic in the team. You now have Lewandowski and and Boateng and Martinez at the back. And the depth in the squad is amazing. But, you know, once again, it didn't have Robin when it really mattered. They had they had a few issues in the, in the first and the second year with injuries. There will be an inquest, I'm sure, and Bayern think, you know, what could we have done better as a club? What could he have done better as a manager? And they'll find a lot of things. But ultimately... Um, you know, they probably ran up against the three eventual winners of this competition three times in a row. Lesser teams have made it through. It's a cup, cup competition, and um, they always knew that every single season would be judged on one, two, or, or ma- a maximum of three games in May. And that's a pretty tough proposition. That's a job, though, uh, Rafa. That's, that's a job for a man as highly touted as Pep Guardiola, and he fail to get them through any of those semi-finals yeah yeah of course he did he did but you know the the real question is this if tomorrow Pep Guardiola says you know what can I stay and Ancelotti says okay you know what I don't mind Bayern would rehire him and that tells you everything there's managers who won stuff at Bayern that they didn't really rate despite winning there's managers who didn't succeed who were very very poor this is a guy that from his everyday work, they think has been amazing. And the fact that the team couldn't quite do it, and I think everybody, even his harshest critics, would agree that he didn't lose that second leg on Tuesday night, but it was just a failure of the team taking their chances. Bayern would do it again. And uh, I think that is the only real criteria of how you see how highly he's rated. Plus, if I can add, you know, you want to talk about legacy, you want to talk about lasting influence. Louis van Gaal took them to a, to a Champions League final, was a car crash in the second season. He was only there for 18 months. His lasting legacy is so strong at Bayern because of the identity he's given them that uh, Heinkes and 
Guardiola were able to build on, that I think in a few years' time we'll look back and think Guardiola has really changed things and has really helped Bayern make a much better team for years to come. I'm absolutely convinced by that. Well, that is, yeah, and that's maybe the, the best way to talk about his success or, or otherwise. I mean, I remember after they lost to Real Madrid, it was the first, uh, first leg defeat. They lost 1-0 uh, two years ago. And um, Guardiola said, uh, and, and this was a game which they completely dominated. You know, they played the entire game just outside Real Madrid's box and didn't score, lost 1-0. Uh, Guardiola said, I'm aware that I'm attempting something countercultural here in Germany. Here they like the way Real Madrid played against us, the counter-attacking football of Borussia Dortmund, but Bayern hired me, my style of football. So there's two questions really rising about that. First of all, do you think his impression about the preferences of the German public was accurate? that that's the kind of football they like to see? And secondly, um, did he actually succeed in changing the culture? Is, is, is this, are Bayern going to keep playing this kind of very patient Pep Guardiola football or are they going to go back to, you know, their old ways? Well, I mean, there are so many issues here. I mean, first of all, I would say that Bayern, um, you know, going back through the 70s, have always had a history of very patient football. They were never known as a free-flowing amazing attacking force they had their version of, of total football in the 70s with players posing, changing positions but they were very controlled very defensively strong they won the Champions League in 2005 with a sweeper you know everybody else was already playing completely different football they were still playing three at the back or five at the back they so were quite they were, that, they were quite macho though uh, I'd, say, I'd say they were quite they were sort of you know there's something a bit chest yes, beating about them it was yeah but it was it was a chest um, pumping and, and beating because they didn't actually do that well with the ball. I yeah. mean, you know, you you do what you you work what you've got, and they had a lot of tough tacklers and a lot of really strong men and, as you said, macho figures. But as far as having a footballing identity was concerned, they didn't really have any. And it's only started with uh, with Van Gaal that you can look at this team and take away the names and take away the shirt color and understand this is Bayern Munich playing. So that already is a huge achievement. And this idea that Germans only like counter-attacking football or they only like um, lots of strikers on the pitch, I mean, Guardiola also changed his tune quite a lot, the way he, it fitted him, his narrative, is, is I think is a bit mistaken and a bit, uh, uh, a bit short-sighted. What I think he found hard to accept was that after dominating Real Madrid and playing this wonderful football, uh, somebody like Franz Beckenbauer just sits there and says, yeah, that's great, uh, but they're over-elaborative. Why don't they just shoot a bit? And for him, you know, that, that betrays a lack of understanding of the way he sees football. But I don't think it's necessarily um, reflective of, of German football on a whole. You look at the national team, they are playing a football that's very, very similar to Guardiola's football for the one reason that most opposition teams defend. You know, once they defend, what do you do? You, you just have to you just have to play football. There's no... You can't start counter-attacking against the likes of Albania in qualification. So there's just... I think it's an oversimplification to say he had cultural issues. But of course, I think when it came to the wider um, running of a club, the relationship with the players the relationship with the board, the relationship with the doctor that we talked about a lot on the show. I think these were things that where the fit between Guardiola and Bayern wasn't 100% right. And maybe it's one of those one or two percent uh, percentage points that in the end were missing for them. And it's a, yeah, ultimately, you, you say there's one or two percent missing and maybe that's what prevented them from getting to a Champions League final. You know, you talked about Thomas Muller earlier he misses a penalty, does that mean suddenly he's not a great player? Of course it doesn't. And, you know, anyone who's saying that Pep Guardiola's a bad manager and, you know, and is some sort of a fraud or something <laughs> is obviously ludicrous. This, isn't, this does, has no impact at all on what he did at Barcelona for, for a start. I mean, that's there, that's done, and that's in the history books. But if we're talking specifically about his time at Bayern Munich, this football philosophy, all the work that he's done, all the intensity that he's brought to the job, all of it surely is judged... At, you know, at the highest level when it's tested against the best teams in Europe, and that's where he came up short. Yes, he came up short, but does that mean that he didn't do any any good work? Does it mean that he failed and took Bayern to the tenth position? Uh, you know, the way what happened to them after they won the European Cup in 1974. He's he's put them at a level where anything but a Champions League um, final or trophy win is seen as failure. 
That is Wait, weren't they the weren't they already at that level? Itself. I mean, weren't they already? No, I mean, they, they weren't. No, they weren't. They they were got to the final in 2012. They lost, and and Uli Hoeneß decided yeah, but, to replace the manager yeah, who then they, went. Look, they the reason why they replaced him in what? But the reason why they signed Guardiola in December of 2012. This is after two years of winning nothing, hmm. and nobody really thinking that Bayern would would get there again in 13. Was they they thought he would be the guy that takes him over the line? That Heinke is, is wonderful manages the players really well, is open to new ideas, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to deliver the promised land. And crucially, and this is the second part that people always forget, he's not going to put them at a level where year in, year out, Bayern see themselves as now on the same status in terms of elite team that Real Madrid and Barcelona have been for 10, 15 years. Bayern have only just got there by the skin of their teeth in 10 and, and 12, not playing the sort of football that we've seen now being played and you know you can only try to keep that level eventually you know you play enough semi-finals you will get lucky but it's it's to be in that situation where every season people look at you and think you are the favorites unless you get to the semi-final something is seriously wrong that's what he has done and that's why they have been happy with him and that's why i can only repeat if today he would say do you mind if i stay there's unfinished business or do you mind if i come back in three years time from city they would say yes there are issues with him, more to do with his personality, with the way that he uh, communicates. But in terms of the football that he's delivered, apart from the result, and of course the results matter, it's been it's been is exactly what they expected from him. See, I think that you you said the phrase unfinished business. I, I, that's kind of what I feel about this as well. That the way that that he's decided to, I mean, he's been quite clear. It's, you know, he he's he was leaving this summer. It kind of everybody sort of always thought that was what was going to happen, and and he confirmed it a, a little while ago. But I wonder does it leave a, does it leave a bit of a sense of disappointment behind it? Munich, they're kind of thinking, well, why are you leaving? You know, you haven't actually finished what you came here to do. Yes, it does absolutely. And uh, you know, you look at last year's uh, sorry, you look at last day last night's semi final, and you think, you know. How can Bayern not be in the final? And you see Man City and, and Real Madrid playing at a level that is well below what you saw from Atletico and Bayern. But this is, this is, this is what it is, and uh, it is hugely annoying. It's hugely frustrating, and you know, don't know uh, when this chance will come back because the English clubs have been very poor. Will, will surely get better, and uh, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona will probably get better as well. But they can only try and uh, and maximize the opportunities. They didn't quite do it, I think, in, in 14 and 15 for reasons that not necessarily had so much to do with him, but injuries and other stuff. This was the year, I think, where the regret is the biggest because they did actually play near to their potential. You know, they played really, really well against one of the toughest teams to play against and they didn't quite do it. And that that's the regret. But can you lay it on the? Can you put the blame on his on his feet for that? I I don't think so. Um, and yeah, they will look back at it and think you know, this has been a missed chance. Three years with this guy, we should have we should have delivered. But you know, I think um, Chelsea will feel the same after Mourinho those first few years. Um, Cruyff, all his vision, everything, only won one uh, Champions League with with Barcelona. Look at Ferguson and his 27 years in charge, only two two Champions Leagues. It, it, it is a difficult competition to win, even for Bayern and even for Guardiola. Rafa Hanestein, great to talk. Thanks, Mill. Pleasure. Well, Ken, are you convinced by Rafa's argument there? In fact, his closing argument was interesting when he did reel off those great managers who have not won exactly too many Champions Leagues. Uh, they are quite difficult to win. We haven't quite pinned you down yet on where, on where you stand. They are difficult to win, but you know, the Bayern is such a Bayern, Bayern is such a powerful club at the moment. You know, they they this has been a really strong period of their history. They made a lot of good decisions. They made a lot of money. They got together a lot of good players. And 2010 got to the Champions League final. 2012 got to the Champions League final. 2013 won the Champions League. Okay, so that's three finals in four seasons. Mm. Followed by no finals in three seasons. Failure. Well, it's not. It doesn't. It it seems. It seems as though you know they 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 weren't doing as well as they had been before in, in that competition. Now you could say they were playing better football. They were more dominant in the league. They they were just stomping everyone in the league. But the thing is, you know, who else is in that league? 
they bought the best players from Borussia Dortmund. They bought Mario Götze. They bought Lewandowski. You know, last they they beat Dortmund five one, and then Lewandowski scored two, and Götze scored one. You know, yeah. Uh, so so the thing is that you can't get credit for you can't get much credit for winning a league in which your team has stomped on its only rival. So he failed at Birmingham. Well, the- well, I, I just think it, it, it is. I think a bit binary. I think he. I, I mean, as I think Raphael was kind of saying there, maybe the best measure of his success isn't so much, you know, whether he, obviously he didn't win the trophies that he was meant to win. So that is a failure. He failed to win the Champions League, doesn't it? This is, you, that's that's obvious. Um, but the the question, the the real issue of whether he succeeded will be: Are they going to keep doing what he taught them to do? Are they going to retain that style, or are they going to, as I suspect? Put it behind them and go back to the old. Guy. They kind of bar- remember they beat Barcelona seven nil over the two. Yeah, like, and that was a different type of football. It was much more physical. It was fast. It was aggressive. There was little elbows and headers. You know, they were doing that kind of stuff. And they, you know, it's not like they 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 had plenty of skillful football as well. But it was it was kind of crash bang type stuff. And I think they something in them yearns for a bit of that as well. Yeah, I think the key question when you uh, if you keep asking the question. Was he a failure or not? Ask Pep Guardiola, honestly, not in a press conference. Ask Pep Guardiola in a year's time, why, were you a success or a failure at Bayern Munich? I would say that he looks on this as a failure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, I, and I think that that's, that that's the end of the argument, really, in a lot of ways. I wonder what the players think, because uh, Rafael says that the club, the hierarchy, are happy with the job he's done and would definitely keep him on for longer if they could but it's funny uh, Raphael uh, linked to a story about Eddie Jones the England rugby coach visiting Pep Guardiola at mm. Bayern I remember Eddie Jones talking about it. I was there when he was talking about that you were there when Eddie Jones was talking about yeah, it Eddie oh because it was around the World, was yeah. World Cup time okay yeah. so well I'll read the quotes you, you know these already but um, I watched him taking a training session and made me embarrassed by my coaching he was so brilliant he's got some of the best players in the world Rebury, Robin, Thomas Muller and he just worked them so hard it was minus 3 degrees Celsius and they came off the field dripping with sweat they worked that hard and they play 45 games a year that reinforced for me how much there is in players <laughs> that reinforces for me Ken <laughs> how hard Pep Guardiola uh, how intensive his training and his methodology probably is for players which isn't necessarily a bad thing by the way no, I, mean, I, they, think, they might, I think it's a good they might need it yeah. it, it, it challenges the players um, to, to become better they have to kind of submit themselves to, to this I will, you know is Thomas Muller going to be sad to see the back of Pep Guardiola a man who continually well, at the moment of truth left him on the bench or took him out of the game I mean there was obviously the thing against Atletico we didn't start him but last season if you remember against Barcelona he took him off Muller had a little tantrum you know, he didn't like that. Uh, the previous season, he left Muller out in the uh, the away game, I think, against uh, against Real Madrid. He he often didn't sort of trust them. I'd say Muller will, you know, certainly one player will be happy enough. Maybe the other thing the, that I remember Guardiola did at Bayern, which which he kind of he sort of, he sort of got away with maybe a little bit because it sort of only it came out much later. It came out in the book. Remember the Pep Confidential book by Marty Pernau. Um After they got walloped by by Real Madrid four 0 he blamed the players for that. He well he well he blamed himself, but the way that he blamed himself was blaming the players. He basically said, "I let the players talk me into mm-hmm. this attacking way of you know they wanted to go gung ho, and I said okay, and it was the biggest it was the biggest screw up of my life. You know I can't believe it. I go, never again. You know never again. And so I kind of thought, oh, you're kind of blaming the players there. You know that was their idea. This four nil tactical disaster." I think you, sh- you need to take a bit more responsibility. Sid Lowe, we will talk to you, Sid, about the All Madrid Champions League final. We might as well keep up this Guardiola chat because Rafael Honigstein is pretty clear that he feels that Guardiola was successful and, uh, and not a failure at Bayern Munich by most measurements. What do you reckon? Well, I mean, the first thing I suppose to, to say is that, that Rafa's one has been watching Bayern Munich that has a much better appreciation of, of how they look at him. I mean, I, I, I personally think that, that failure has to be judged. Um, not only on results, it has to be judged on the, the work that's done, the sense of progression. Um, I think it's natural that after three Champions League semi-final defeats that there are questions asked. I think it's natural that some people um, consider him a failure, but I, I personally wouldn't. And particularly when you look at it in the context of this particular semi-final. Now, um, 
of course it's the result that ultimately matters and, and Simeone is is a man who said the other day that you know he plays to win he doesn't play to please anyone he doesn't play to do anything except to try to win and, and ultimately Atletico Madrid did find a way through but I think if you look at those two semi-finals I think I have some sympathy for the for the way that Arturo Vidal put it after the game which was just to say look do you really want us to do any more? Was there really anything else we could have done except maybe be a little bit more accurate with our shooting? And I think I think I think that's that's kind of fair. It, it's not that they went into the semi-final and, and and got it horribly horribly wrong. Um, they got caught. That said, certainly I think the, the way they got caught in 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 Munich was was pretty poor. Do you think there is an issue there, Sid, in terms of the three? consecutive semi-finals and not scoring an away goal mm. you know a couple of them had, had been in Madrid you, you got the chance to to see Bayern pass the ball around and not not score I mean is there is there maybe a question mark there that okay this is the type of football that if you've got Lionel Messi in your team is you know you're probably going to win and if you don't mm. maybe you're going to struggle to score yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you need to. I mean, yeah, of course. Look, on the on the face of it, the the, the problem is the the not scoring away from home. The the, the games that 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 really stand out for me is, is the two games that they played when the away game was first, and they, and therefore, in other words, it's the game where in theory you set up the tie, and in theory you you put yourself in a position for the for the second game. So away at, at the Bernabeu and, and and away at the Calderon. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the Barcelona game, the away game was. No, the Barcelona, they, they lost 3-0 in the, in the first game at the, at the Camp Nou, yeah? In the first game at the Camp Nou? Yeah, yeah. The okay. second, second right, game, right. they won 3-2. Well, the, Barcelona, the Barcelona game, looking back on it, I, my, my sort of recollection of it is, is basically they just played a team that was much better than them. Yeah. Um, the other two games that I, I feel slightly differently about, um, the game at the Bernabeu, I remember that, that Benzema scored the first half goal after about 25 minutes, maybe half an hour. I'm not exactly sure. But I remember t- turning to, to to one of my colleagues in the press box and saying, "We just haven't seen the ball yet." And Bayern Munich completely dominated. And the goal comes Im- almost immediately after a chance for Bayern, about six or seven yards out, a volley that gets blocked, and then Madrid got the other end and score. And I, th- I think, in a way, probably the criticism of Bayern then would have been their failure to react to that. I think the game at the Calderon maybe they 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 struggled to get out of of Atletico's high pressing game in the first half. Certainly, the second half. I think you can argue that they did enough to try and score. So, so I don't think that this was a, a, a tactical blunder in the sense of willingly going away and saying, "Right, let's go away and get nil-nil," and not appreciating that nil-nil away from home is no longer the great result in Europe that we once upon a time thought it was. I don't think it's a tactical blunder. I think it may be just a failure to find a way through. And certainly in these two games over Atletico Madrid, I think there is a case for saying that they didn't get too much wrong. Um, in terms of in terms of the approach, in terms of the way that they played, and actually, I was talking to a German colleague last night at the Bernabeu, and he, and he said, if you watch how Bayern Munich played this time around, it was less Guardiola and more Bayern um, than the two previous years. Much more balls into the area, much more crossing from wide positions, uh, a much more physical game, still creating loads of chances. He said, in the first year when it was kind of almost a bit more pure, the Guardiola approach, they probably wouldn't have done that. I think the really big uh, kind of failure, if you like, of the of the three semi-finals is is the home game against Real Madrid when they got absolutely destroyed. And because I think you look back on that and you think that was a game where they got taken apart by a counter-attacking team, but in a very very simple way. And I, and in that game, I, I thought tactically they did get it wrong. Well, if he does win the Champions League with his new club, I'm sure he'll receive plenty of credit for it because um, I don't know if he got a chance if he was in the frame of mind to watch the game last night, but. So frustrating watching Manchester City, and you know you get the sense from everybody watching the game that they just didn't have a go. Well, I mean, look, I, I'll be honest with you. There's, there's a phrase that doesn't really translate brilliantly from Spanish, but but I'm going to turn to it because I think it kind of kind of helps here. Um, Manchester City are a team that, when I've watched them, and I, I say this with the you know with the risk of of having to admit that they're not a team I watch a lot. I don't see enough Premier League football to, to be able to make the kind of judgment that, that, that you lot can make. But whenever I watch another team, and this is a Spanish phrase, that to me doesn't transmit anything. It doesn't express anything. There's no, there is, for me, they're a team that, that is, a kind of, is kind of empty. Um, and, and what really struck me last night, and I, I was talking about them in the, in the build-up to this game, and a few people were not very happy with me because I, I sort of said, look, I think they're quite mediocre, Man City. Um, now, mediocre in the context of really high-level Champions League football. Of course, they've got good players. Of course, they're not a completely mediocre team. But, but they're, they're just kind of fundamentally, I sort of look at them and think 
they're just sort of not that good. And there's always been this assumption, or it seems to me there's always been this assumption, that City have really good players, but maybe they're not that, that much of a team. In my opinion, they don't even have that many really good players. No, they're not. They're, they're past it. I mean, you saw, you saw not, Vincent they, Company. They don't have really good players, in my opinion. They really don't. They yeah. have two or three, maybe. Um, and, and, but the other thing is, is to say that, that phrase that doesn't translate well, of, of transmitting anything. To me, they don't transmit anything. There's, there's no sense of, of an identity, of an, of an urgency. They're, they're bloodless. They're, they're, and, and yesterday, in the last 20 minutes, when they've got to get a goal, it was almost as if they just, well, we're not as good as them, let's not even try. I, I, was, I was really shocked that, at the very least, and this, I know, look, you're talking to me and I'm a guy who watches Spanish football, so perhaps I shouldn't be saying this, but at the very least, in the last 20 minutes, sling the bloody ball in the box <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Stick you it know? in the mixer, Sid, come on. Yeah, I mean, there was, they, they were utterly bloodless last night, and, 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 and in truth, that wasn't a million miles away of, from the City team that, that I feel like I see when I watch them play more often than not. There's something there that, well, no, more to the point, there just isn't anything there. For me, they're, they're just, they're a team with no character, or they're a team, they're a team, I mean, look, all of this is exaggerating slightly in the, in the moment, but, but the, when it came to it, I just felt they were, they were kind of a nothingness. Yeah, no, they, they, they are, I mean, I think they're, their best players are a couple of years past it at this stage, maybe went back in the day when Yaya Toure was really rolling, you know, Man City, where you know had something a bit more formidable about them, but I mean, mm. I, you know, in that sense, maybe it's a good place for Guardiola to be going because it's it's sort of a, a blank slate, and you know he can he can make of it what he will. It's kind of the opposite to the situation he arrived at at Bayern, where yeah. they had had their own ways yeah. of doing things. But just forget about them anyway. We'll we'll talk about them <laughs> some other time. Um, it's another Madrid final. Um, this keeps happening now in the Champions League. Liverpool and Milan played each other twice. Manchester and Barcelona twice. Now Real and Atletico twice. Uh, I get the feeling. Uh, that this time, Atletico Madrid are going to do Real Madrid. They're going to punish <laughs> them, punish them for what happened last time. Uh, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, but to be honest with you, if I, if I tell you about gut feeling, my gut feeling is the complete opposite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if Lisbon just hangs kind of almost too heavy. Um, I, I think that Madrid have shown with Zidane that they can. Because the weird thing about Madrid. And, and forgive me, Real Madrid fans, for saying this, is that they've got to the final without playing a single decent game in this tournament. Um, their best performance was probably a nil-nil draw in Paris against Paris Saint-Germain under, under Rafa Benitez. Um, I mean, there will be some people say, what do you mean not a single decent game? They, they won 3-0 against Wolfsburg. Yeah. Well, Wolfsburg were diabolical. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look, you know, you can only beat the teams in front of you and I accept that. And, and Madrid last night didn't suffer and they seemed to control them. And in that sense, it was a reasonably good performance. But, but they've kind of got to the final almost too easily um, and and look Atletico Madrid are a different prospect it's, t- it's true but the other thing about Madrid is that they are starting to have a clear sense of what they want to do there's a collectiveness that wasn't there underneath us tactically then they're, they're not really significantly di- different from Benitez and you know Zidane has done some of the things that Benitez did and has been allowed to whereas Benitez wasn't. Um, but there's, there's, there's a far better environment about them. Players are coming good uh, at the right time. Ronaldo, I think, last night looked unfit, but presumably, we, what have we got? 24 days, I think it is, till the final. There's time for him to be fit. Sergio Ramos, as always, um, has this habit of being good when it really matters. And to be honest, he's had a dreadful season. For the last three or four weeks, he's started to look very good again. Um, I, 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 and I, I just sort of think that the, the, the mentality... And, and the memory of last time kind of makes Real Madrid favourites. I'm sure all the fans will be pumped up, Sid. Uh, there, was, there was amazing footage on TV last night. I, I don't know if this is standard fare before Champions League semi-finals. I, I kind of had the idea that maybe Real Madrid supporters would be so sated by all the success over the years that they might wait until the final before they get excited. But the, there was this amazing footage of the team bus getting towards the mm. stadium, surrounded by thousands of fans, flares, just going crazy. It was It was like a team who had from a football mad city who'd never been at this stage of the competition before. Was that partly because Atletico Madrid lay in wait in the final? I think in part. I think it's also the the fact that there's a recognition that it hasn't been a brilliant season, but that it could end up being an absolutely fantastic season. I mean, they could still win the league as well. Uh, it's not very likely with two games to go, but they're, they're one point off, off the top, albeit they're in third place. So they need both Atletico and Barcelona to slip up for them to win the title. Um, there's also something about the Champions League with Real Madrid. I think it's difficult to, to, to fully express just how much Real Madrid 
uh, see themselves as synonymous with the, with the European Cup, that this is the trophy through which their identity is built. Um, and so you go and watch a Classico, for example, at the Bernabeu, and there wouldn't be that much of a sense of anticipation and atmosphere. You certainly wouldn't see these things. But in the last few years in Champions League games, big ones we've seen this. We've seen it in those games when there's been a sense of needing to, for example, against Wolfsburg, a comeback, and the fans taking on that sense of, right, we play a part here too. But this semi-final, while there wasn't a conscious attempt to build it up to that, that was bubbling underneath. And, and, and genuinely, I think that's the thing that, that, that... It's the European Cup that makes Real Madrid different. I think... Foreign football fans, when they go to the Bernabeu, and, and there may well be some that disagree with me on this, but I think for the most part, go to the Bernabeu, I think, you know what, it's not that good. Considering it's an 80,000 stadium, it's the biggest club in the world, you know, the atmosphere is not all that. But if they go on a Champions League night, out once you're out of the group, of course, once you go in a big Champions League night, a knockout tie, it is. And, and, and I think that's, that's what it is. It's all kind of bound up in that sense of, this is what makes us Real Madrid. Yeah, uh, the the one one thing I'm really worried about in this final is what is gonna what is Diego Simeone gonna do if Atletico lose? I mean, he <laughs> we saw what he what happened the last time. You know, he he marched onto the field and got sent off. Um, you know, in the last final, he he hit his assistant. I mean, what <laughs> what was going on? That that was just crazy. Has anybody even spoken about that? All I saw was people saying, "Oh no, it's not actually." It's okay. It wasn't the UEFA official. It was only <laughs> his assistant that he whacked. Well, in a way, in a way, that is okay in 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 the sense that it means he won't get banned. Yeah, no, there is a slight difference. So, so he doesn't he doesn't get banned for that. I mean, you you get sent off for for punching a teammate if you're on the field. You know, but it's yeah, okay. I think to... You probably do. Yeah, yeah. Remember, was it Grobler and Steve McManaman going through? Yeah, Bowyer and Dyer yeah. and Sherwood yeah. and, and whoever it was, Batty, I think was it. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Is, is this final going to end up with, 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 a, with, a, with a punch up between Simeone and Zidane? I mean, that that would be quite a fight, that wouldn't it? But it, it's it, <laughs> do, you, do you feel as though Diego Simeone is, is approaching some dangerous pitch of yeah. of excitement here that that he's really in the red in a way that I haven't even seen him before? Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, the tension. There's no doubt that the tension is absolutely gigantic, and and if you. If you watch some of the footage from, from the game in Munich, and it wasn't just that moment, although that moment obviously kind of summed it up, when he, he, he's slapping at him and saying, make the change, make the change. Because, of course, what are we in the 93rd minute or something? And he wants to, to kill any sense of momentum. And, 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 it, and the, the match day delegate is actually a tiny bit slow to kind of force the change and therefore to not allow Atletico to prevent Bayern um, from taking a throw in and keeping the move going. Um, and if you, but if you watch some of the other footage, that when... When they score, for example, everyone else is leaping around and he's there with his head in his hands. And you can see that the tension is absolutely extraordinary. Now, obviously, that's part of what makes Simeone what he is. And he's, he's very much a choreographer of the crowd as well as a, as a manager. I think the importance of him being on the touchline is, is enormous, which is why it is significant that he's got a three-game ban uh, and therefore will be out these last two games of the, of the season. Is why it did make a difference for him to be in the stands, I think, last weekend. Um, I just wonder, though, if, if, if these are moments that, that kind of are always there, but never quite get to the really awful point. Um, and, and I think there is a sort of a belief that it's, it's the sort of the madness of the moment and the intensity with which he lives it, rather than, rather than a cynicism, if you see what I mean, in his behaviour. Now, maybe in the way his team plays. Well, throwing, exactly a, throwing a ball onto the exactly, field. I, know, I think it's very important. It's one of the most cynical things I've ever seen. It's, it's like a tactic that even Jose Mourinho would only reserve for like a charity celebrity match. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Like a, it's, but he did it in, like, in La Liga. It's insane. No, that's what I mean. It's important to draw the distinction between how he behaves on a touchline in terms of his madness and the cynicism of the way that he approaches the game. There are there slightly different things. But yes, yeah, absolutely. And, I, I don't know. Is, is he on the moment? Is he going to have a blow up? Maybe. And if they lose, I think it will. I think it will hurt him a lot. Bear in mind, there's something else. I think the context of the Bayern Munich game, and that is that genuinely, and we've talked about this a lot. Atletico Madrid being a team that suffers, being a team that that has teams attack them and that resist for a long time. But you watch them quite often. And you think, yeah, they're suffering, but they know how to suffer, unlike other teams. They know how to resist. They know how to be attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked and feel like they're going to be okay. Against Bayern Munich, it was different. Against Bayern Munich, they were just hiding under the table. You know, they, they were, you know, the, the bullets were flying around them. And it, it wasn't that they were, they were saying, these can't touch me. They were saying, bloody hell, what, any minute now, one of these is going to touch me. Um, and they got away. It, was, it felt different, the Bayern Munich, to Afrikaans. Put bluntly, they were lucky this time. And yet all those other times, you, even when they were under pressure, you never really felt like they were lucky. Sid, I'm sure we'll grab you before the final. Great chat. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Cheerio.
Oh, I really loved the some of the the description and the descriptions there of Manchester City, a team that doesn't transmit anything kind of empty, bloodless. Mm. Uh, lovely stuff there from Sid Lowe. Um, just a big question though, that comes out of that piece is, it, we're all thinking the same thing, right? Mm. Who would win in a fight between Zidane and Zidane and Diego Simeone? Well, I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about a full street. Pretty obvious who wins. Who, why, why, who? Simeone, Simeone. All, day, all day long. Simeone, I mean, Zidane would probably wind up for the the headbutt. And if Simeone managed to find himself on the ground, then he'd get a right, a proper shoeing of that. Zidane's a tough man. Yeah, but but and a, a, a good big one will always beat a good little one. If that's a, the, a phrase that I came up with myself, Simeone's not that little, and also Simeone is a littler than Zizou. Almost certainly has a shiv. Uh, just you know, <laughs> so, uh, all I'm saying is that's going in between Zizou's ribs mm-hmm. pretty early in the fight. And then we'll see what happens. Uh, where are we now? Well, we're pretty much at the end of the program. Um, I do want to mention our Kevin Keegan interview again. Uh, if you want to have a listen to that, you really should. He's really good. He's, he's not a fan of the academy system in England. Things it's failed pretty spectacularly. We'll have a little taster. They, they get given boots and kits and then people wash the kit for them at 8, 9, 10 in these academies. At the time they're 12, they think they're pros. You know, and at the time they're 14, 15, they're saying, where's my boots? You know, you haven't cleaned my... You know, really you need a bit of rejection. You know, you don't... Everyone telling you you're great at 8 and 9. I mean, I see some of these kids and you watch the academies arrive at, and they've got the headphones on. These are 12, 13-year-old kids who've seen the others. <laughs> they've just it. seen one TV and they're yeah, copying Yeah, and they're just copying them. You know, and this is what I do and I don't talk to anybody and things like that. Uh, we, we had to go through a different system and it was better. I think it might be... Um, it mightn't be unreasonable to... Sorry, you wanted to come in there. I was no, just going to say no, to, 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 to suggest that academy coaches tell their 12 and 13-year-old charges that they're not actually... That they have to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. They don't necessarily have to allow them to wear the headphones. No. Maybe you do. I don't know, Ken. I don't, I don't deal with 12, 13-year-olds on a professional basis like these coaches of academies. It's hard to know really what to do. Um, but, I mean, Keegan was saying the old system was better. I think there were a few problems with it as well. The somewhat bullying nature of it? <laughs> like, well, the fact that it was completely based on, you know, hazing, bullying, ritual, humiliation, dom- uh, hierarchical, hierarchical domination. You know, there were some unpleasant aspects to it, I, I guess, for the for the youngins coming through. We've also <laughs> but, but, you know, never did them any harm. We've also got our usual pod out today featuring US Murph's thoughts on Leicester City. So you could pack three Irish Times second captain's podcast into one day. Maybe even catch up on a couple of oldies there if you haven't heard them as well complete pod binge uh, for the day thanks Ken <laughs> thank you thank you too what are you at so far? Thanks, just Ken. the idea of someone thanks, sitting there all day listening to old podcasts well I've, I've not just it. like from last week either go all the way back I had a Mark Maron I had a Mark Maron pod binge a while back I was on a long drive listening yeah. to a good few of them in a row oh so, old yeah. evergreen Mark Maron thanks guys thank you all. thanks for listening Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 